0: Hey there, this is Devin from Legal Eagle. You're smart. And I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast. But if you want even more incredible, educational-ish content from me and my friends, then you've gotta get Nebula. Because in addition to offering tons of terrific podcasts ad-free, Nebula is a place where my friends and I get to release tons of experimental and exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Plus, all of my videos are ad-free. Just head to watchnebula.com slash truecrime of to sign up now. He gently pulls the chair away and grabs the doorknob. He turns. He pulls. Oddly, there's slight resistance. Then he yanks the door, and Katko's life and limbs are changed forever. A man's house is his castle. It's the place we feel safe. It's the place we raise our children, and it's the place we keep our most precious belongings. But to what lengths may we go to protect our personal property and our home? When is deadly force justified? That's the question that we must answer in The Case of the Shotgun Booby Trap. Submitted for adjudication. Our story begins with a gift. The year is 1957. The place, an isolated farmhouse in Mahaska County, Iowa. On this day, Edward and Bertha Briney are thrilled to learn that they're about to inherit a fertile eight-acre farm from Bertha's parents. The shining gem amidst the rolling golden wheat fields, a farmhouse, a symbol of the American pioneer. The couple is elated. They dream of passing on their property to their children and grandchildren. Little do they know, this quaint little home in the heartland is about to throw their lives into chaos. Although they love the farmhouse, Ed and Bertha do not live there. Instead, they reside in another home outside of town. They try their best to secure the inherited property, especially to protect the antiques and heirlooms stored within. Unfortunately, the Brinies grow increasingly unable to care for the farmhouse, and it begins to deteriorate faster than they can repair. Both time and weather batter the house. The harsh Midwestern winters strip the paint off the boards, crack the windows like broken teeth, and cave the roof in. The home becomes dilapidated and the brinies are frustrated. The gift starts to seem less like a blessing and more like a curse. They have no idea how right they are. Worse yet, the farmhouse is isolated and vulnerable, like a haunted house beset by troubled ghosts. There are no nearby neighbors to protect the home, and it becomes ripe for looting. As the years pass, Bertha's family heirlooms start disappearing, stolen by a persistent swarm of criminals and thieves. A series of trespassing and housebreaking incidents inflict more damage to the property. And soon, nearly everything that Bertha treasured is gone, stolen by looters that seem to worm their way into the house like locusts. And like locusts, strip it bare. Angry and despondent, the Brineys post keep-out signs and install locks, but all is in vain. For a decade, Ed Briney listens to his wife's pleas as she begs him to do something. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, a couple of buddies are up to no good. Meet one Marvin Catco, a married gas station attendant barely able to make ends meet. He's been in and out of work for weeks and is looking for some quick cash. And meet Catco's soon-to-be partner in crime, Marvin McDonough, who has heard about the Briny residence and the easy money to be made there. McDonough convinces Catco that grabbing some antiques could earn them a pretty penny, and Catco is just desperate enough to agree. Before long, the two conspirators break in and steal some antique bottles and jars for preserves. Their little heist proves fruitful. Finally, something snaps in the mind of Edward Briney. Fed up with the looting and wanton destruction, Briney cleans and oils his 20-gauge shotgun, and he climbs the flight of groaning stairs to the second floor bedroom. A desperate plan takes shape in his mind. He ignores the uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach. He is a man who has had enough. Fury pulsing in his veins, Briney enters the north bedroom. Working by the light of the late afternoon sun, He secures the shotgun to the foot of the iron bed with wire, and runs another wire from the trigger to the bedroom doorknob. He crouches, adjusting the shotgun's aim, leveling it straight at the middle of the doorframe, where it is sure to hit the thief in the abdomen. A death sentence. And then he calls downstairs to Bertha. When Bertha sees Ed's booby trap, she has only one qualm. She doesn't want the would-be thief to get shot in the stomach. So Bertha convinces Ed to lower the gun and to point it at the bottom of the door instead. Ed agrees and adjusts the shotgun. He nails a piece of tin over the window to prevent anyone from seeing the trap. He loads the gun, cocks the trigger, and closes the door. Bertha shoves a chair under the door's knob as one last signal to thieves that the bedroom door isn't meant to be open. At last, the Brinies leave, knowing the next person to open the door is in for a horrifying shock. Meanwhile, high off of their first hall, Catco and McDonough decide to go back, reasoning there must be more in the rooms that they haven't opened yet. So the two tiptoe back onto the Briny's land under cover of darkness, but this time, unbeknownst to them, they face a bloody reckoning. Catco and McDonough pry loose a board from a back porch window. They break and enter. Once inside the house, Catco goes straight to the bedrooms while McDonough searches downstairs. He enters the hallway. No one is home, but he's careful to avoid excessive noise. The old floorboards creak with each heavy step. Catco notices a chair under the north bedroom door. Strange, but no matter. He gently pulls the chair away and grabs the doorknob. He turns. He pulls. Oddly, there's slight resistance. Then he yanks the door and Catco's life and limbs are changed forever. The sound of the blast is deafening. It's chaos. Catco drops, one of his legs a bloody mess of tissue and bone splinters. The sickly sweet smell of gunpowder fills the air, adding to the pandemonium. Catco screams in agony, and McDonough rushes to the bedroom. He stares in dumbstruck horror. Catco lies there, writhing. McDonough lifts his friend on a shoulder and half-carries him down to the front yard. From there, McDonough helps as much as he can as Katko crawls the seemingly endless distance to the car where the two finally rush through the night to the hospital. There, after doctors stop the bleeding, they explain to Catco and his wife that he needs three to four weeks of care before the hospital can discharge him. Catco has lost a substantial amount of bone and tissue and his leg needs to be amputated. But almost miraculously, Catco barely avoids that horrible step. Yet Katko's injury doesn't prevent the law from swooping in. After a 40-day stay in the hospital, Katko faces the police who arrest him on breaking and entry and larceny charges. Katko pays a fine of $50 and serves a 60-day jail sentence until he is paroled for good behavior. Except for this, Katko's record is clean. But this man's ordeal is far from over. He suffers a full year in a cast and another year in a special brace. He wrestles with pain and knows he will walk with a limp for the rest of his life. Catco knows he was committing a crime, but the longer he sits, his leg throbbing like torture, the more he convinces himself that he doesn't deserve this. This isn't fair. Something breaks in Catco's mind. Like Briny before him, Catco decides he wants justice. Catco served his time in jail and paid his debt to society, which brought the criminal side of this case to a close. But once out of jail, Catco wanted compensation for his gruesome shotgun injuries. So like a true American, Catco filed suit. That's right, the thief sued the homeowner. Catco claimed that his leg injury resulted from unreasonable force by the Brinies to protect their personal property by setting up a spring gun, aka a shotgun booby trap. Needless to say, Ed and Bertha Briney were furious. The case went all the way up to the Iowa Supreme Court. The issue? Whether setting up a spring gun in an uninhabited house is considered reasonable force for protection of property. In other words, was Edward allowed to set up a shotgun booby trap to protect his house and home? Remember, the house was unoccupied at the time of the break-in. So how far does the right to self-defense actually go? We take you to the courthouse, where the argument between the lawyers for each side is about to begin.
1: Good morning. This court has had an opportunity to review the record, the party's briefs. Are counselors ready to begin oral argument? Uh, Yes, Your Honor. Bruce Palmer, representing Appellants Mr. and Mrs. Briney.
2: Yes, Justice. Jerry Heslinga for Mr. Katko Appellee.
1: All right, then. Let's proceed. Mr. Palmer, what do you have to say?
3: Thank you, and may it please the court. It is frankly a miscarriage of justice that an admitted thief would seek monetary damages from the homeowners he tried to burgle. My clients, Edward and Bertha Briney, did everything right. They followed the law in setting up a mere deterrent in their unoccupied home. A home which was clearly not meant for guests, especially trespassing intruders with intent to burglarize the home. For 10 years, the Brineys repeatedly installed locks, posted many no trespassing signs, boarded up windows, and even desperately sought assistance from the Sheriff's Department. But none of these efforts prevented continuous break-ins and thefts to the family's heirloom home. Katko, the thief, had no right to even set foot on the Brineys' land.
2: Your Honor, the key to deciding this case is the oldest legal question on the books. Does the punishment fit the crime? The obvious answer here is no. The Constitution itself prohibits cruel and unusual punishment in criminal cases, but it also makes sense in a civil case like this one. My client admitted he was guilty of breaking and entering and larceny in the nighttime, but he was arrested. He served his time and he paid the required fine. He paid his debt to society and the Brineys. He had never been in trouble with the law before the burglary at the Brineys or since. He is a young, upstanding individual who was working for a living to support himself and his wife then lost his way when serious financial stress fell upon him for the first time. Yes, the Brineys had a right to protect their property, but to the extent of ruining a decent man's life by blowing off one of his legs?
3: All the Brineys intended with the spring gun in the bedroom was to scare intruders. They had no desire or intention to seriously maim or kill anyone, including those who caused them substantial loss and stress on a regular basis. On the other hand, Katko, while he tries to play the oops, I made a little mistake card, actually carefully planned the burglary to steal the Briney's valuables and sell them for his own benefit. He even got himself a partner in crime. Katko didn't feel guilty about taking the Briney's belongings. He broke into their home twice. He's a convict, a repeat offender, and had no right to expect warmth or safety in a vacant home, which he knew had been repeatedly vandalized. Well, imagine if he seriously cut himself while breaking one of the farmhouse windows. That could be just as dangerous as a shotgun, but we would all agree that the Brineys would not be liable for his injuries then. This situation is exactly the same. Furthermore, Edward Briney and his wife made a specific decision to keep the gun's aim at the bottom of the door, as not to harm anyone. They could have aimed it toward an entrance chest cavity or head, but they did not. Katko's injuries resulted from his own bad decisions.
2: Oh, that's going too far. My client not only suffered the horrendous injury at the time the shotgun blew off much of his bone and leg tissue, but almost had his leg amputated, needed crutches and a special brace for almost two years, and still suffers substantial pain to this very day. All because he attempted to take a few antique bottles to sell so he could keep himself and his wife above water.
1: I appreciate your arguments, counselors. But the law is clear. The relevant question for the court is whether the actions of the Brineys was reasonable. A did not have permission to enter the premises and did not have permission to steal the Brineys' belongings. That much is clear. However, as a society, we don't want people setting up shotgun booby traps or planting landmines in their yards.
2: Your Honor, any reasonable person knows the terrible damage a shotgun can do at point-blank range. Indeed, the fact that the Brineys lowered the aim of the gun is an admission of that fact. The Brineys knew the damage a shotgun could do in terms of close-range blast diameter. Thus, they obviously intended to grievously harm the next person to open that door. In this case, it was poor Mr. Katko.
1: Mr. Palmer, do you think the Brineys' trap was reasonable? I do, Your Honor. Their actions
3: were reasonable, demonstrated by their intent at the time they set up the gun. Was it reasonable for them to be upset and want to prevent further break-ins? Yes. Did they try less drastic measures to accomplish their goal prior to the spring gun? Yes. Did those measures stop the stealing and vandalism? No. Does it make sense for them to have taken a more extreme measure? Yes. My clients were not merely attempting to protect toilet paper or toothpaste. They were trying to keep and care for valuable, highly sentimental belongings, including furniture and other items that belonged to Bertha's parents and even her grandparents. These were priceless treasures to the Brinies, and they had every right to protect them and their beautiful heirloom home. Your Honor, you called it a trap, but that implies that it was out in the wild and that anyone walking in public could have come within the sights of the shotgun. But the Brinies were careful to only protect their own home and place their deterrent in their own bedroom. And after repeated break-ins, something had to be done. Causing a gun to fire, hit the floor, and make a frighteningly loud noise would, of course, scare intruders away from the home. My clients acted as any other reasonable person would have under the circumstances.
2: Your Honor, the flaw in the Briney's argument is clear. What if it had been someone else that opened the door that night? What if some young boys, out for a walk, had decided to explore the dark home as an adventure, as children sometimes do? What if the boys, having no plan to steal or vandalize had wandered through the home and then in one awful blast, a child's life had been lost. That's the kind of thinking that shows reasonable contemplation. Clearly, the death of an innocent young child would not be reasonable just to protect some property. What else can we conclude? The hidden gun trap was intended to catch someone by surprise and cause a devastating personal injury or worse. That is undoubtedly unreasonable. It's the only likely scenario. Regardless of where they pointed the gun, Serious injury or death was the likely outcome. Imagine a person on trial for attempted murder and claiming that it couldn't be murder because he only aimed for someone's non-vital organs. Preposterous. If my client had not been accompanied by his friend, he would have bled to death. The Brinies were out for blood and they got it. Now it's on their hands. My client simply wants compensation for the damage that they did to him. At most, the Brinies would have lost some useless trinkets but my client lost a sizable portion of his leg, and he will never be the same. The Brineys' actions went far beyond what we can countenance as a civil society. Their actions were completely unreasonable.
1: Are we to suggest that a homeowner can never use deadly force to protect his home? Is that the precedent you want to set? Mr. Palmer, under what circumstances, if any, is a spring gun a legally permitted device for protection of personal property? Your Honor, the law is
3: settled that property owners may use substantial force, even spring guns and shotguns, to protect their property under certain circumstances, including a home invasion, especially at night. Furthermore, there is no statute in Iowa prohibiting the use of spring guns. Of course, human safety is important, but it goes both ways. Recall that although the farmhouse was often unoccupied, Mrs. Briney testified that she'd visit the property, her childhood home, fairly frequently just to enjoy being near the furniture and other personal possessions left in the home by her parents. Who's to say the Briney family was not protecting a dwelling where Mrs. Briney may be spending time on her own? She has a right to protect her own life with deadly force. So the only unreasonable matter here is Catgo's asking this court to award him money for an injury he sustained by illegally entering a home where the homeowner might have been dwelling at the time. Your Honor,
2: opposing counsel conveniently omits that part of the well-settled law that says spring guns or other mechanical devices installed to cause serious bodily harm or death may only be used if the homeowner is present in the dwelling while the trap is set. In other words, the Briony's shotgun booby trap was not to be set to perform unless Mr. or Mrs. Briney were actually home. Moreover, while counsel keeps faulting my client's character, he neglects to mention that my client's character is completely irrelevant. We may not like the reason Mr. Katko was there, but his status as a trespasser shouldn't justify homeowners throughout the country rigging firearms to shoot anyone at any time.
1: Thank you. I think I've heard enough. Any closing remarks, Mr. Palmer? Thank you. In closing, my
3: clients rely on this court to consider the facts and circumstances leading up to Mr. Katko's injury. Beyond the 10 years of property damage, trespassing, and theft that occurred at the Briney's heirloom home, there's also the fact that the thief, Katko, never would have been injured but for his own wrong decision to illegally enter someone else's home at night with intent to burglarize it. While it was mere property my clients were protecting, these were belongings in a home where Mrs. Briney frequently spent time. Thus, this case should be looked upon as one in which the law permits use of a spring gun. It might be different if the belongings were in a shack or a barn, but they were not. It was merely luck that the Brinies were not present at the time of the home invasion. Yet Mr. Katko seeks to punish the Brinies for the good fortune that they were not home at the time he broke in. Finally, the Brineys had no intent to harm the thief to the extent of his injuries, but instead merely scare him off, as evident from the
2: angle of the gun's aim. Notwithstanding counsel's seemingly sound argument, it is completely unsupported by actual Iowa law. The law follows the proper policy that human life is always more important than rights to property. It's possible that the Brineys really did not intend to harm my client. But as harsh as this sounds, it does not matter. As this court has explored, the question remains, was the spring gun device a reasonable use of force to protect property rather than human life? The answer is no. Any reasonable person would have realized that a 20-gauge shotgun precariously wired to fire into a doorway, any part of a doorway, could cause serious bodily harm or death to an entrant. Thus, the spring gun set up by the Brineys was legally impermissible making them liable to Mr. Katko for his injuries, the significant loss of a leg, and unimaginable pain and suffering.
1: Thank you, counselors. This matter is adjourned. I will return soon with the court's decision.
0: Justice Moore wrote the decision of the Iowa Supreme Court in February of 1971, and the precedent that it set is still the law of the land in Iowa and many states today. Pause this video and let me know in the comments how you think this case came out. The Iowa Supreme Court held that the rule of law to be applied was this. One may in fact use reasonable force to protect mere property, but a homeowner may not use a means of force that will take human life or inflict great bodily harm. The fact that a trespasser may be acting in violation of law doesn't change that rule. And the only time the setting of a spring gun is justified is if a trespasser is committing a felony of violence or one punishable by death, or where a trespasser is endangering human life by his act. In other words, the Brineys, the homeowners, were in the wrong. It was unlawful to set up their spring gun booby trap. And what happened to the Brineys? Well, hold on to your hats. The jury's verdict for CatCo and against the Brineys awarded CatCo $20,000 for actual damages, plus another $10,000 in punitive damages. The jury found that the Brineys' booby trap was so heinous that the couple should not only pay for the actual damages, but also $10,000 just to punish them. So is it fair or unfair that a trespasser attempting to burglarize your house has any protections at all? It's difficult to disagree that human life is more important than property, no matter how sentimental the items. But what do you think? Did the court get it right, or was this a travesty of justice? Leave your objections in the comments, and until next time, I'll see you in court.